Welcome, everyone, to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now, here's the show. Welcome to the Talking Reef Podcast, the weekly talk show that brings you topics and discussions on marine and reef aquariums. Now, other than the internet and this show, of course, what's the most valuable resource that you have in the hobby? Books? Books are a great resource. They go into great detail on many topics that you need to know about and are right there at your fingertips when you need them. You have books for corals, for fish, for invertebrates. In fact, there's books for pretty much anything you want. Uh, and these tools are they're great resources. Uh, that is until they get out of date. And then what do you do? Well, then you have to go buy a new edition or look for an updated book or something like that. Joining us this segment is a person that wants to make this a little bit easier on you. Imagine having a complete volume encyclopedia covering everything from rare fish, corals, DIY projects, maintenance, everything you can think of, all at your computer. Travis Stout, the founder of many great online resources such as ReefIndex.com, AquarianNews.com, ReefSanctuary.com, has recently launched the answer to your needs for constant and current marine-related information. Travis, welcome to the show. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. Great. Now, uh, why don't you take a minute and tell me about Reefpedia. Exactly what is it? Well, uh, quite simply, it's the encyclopedia of reef keeping, um, but it, it, it's a lot more than that. It's, it's like an encyclopedia, but it's never finished, and, and the point of it never being finished is, is actually a good thing. Uh, as the hobby grows and changes, so will Reefpedia. So as uh, as a new filtration method is discovered, as people get into a new kind of coral, as uh, any kind of new information about keeping a specific species or plumbing technique, any of it can always be added at any time um, by anyone. Right, and that, I think that, you know that was something I mentioned earlier, and I think that's going to be one of the best parts about this is the fact that when us as hobbyists go out and we have to buy the books and this, that, and the other thing, um, even websites in general, a lot of times the stuff is written and then it's static content, um, more so with books than with general web pages. But I think one of the best things about this is when you know, as you mentioned, when new stuff comes out, you know, people can go in there and update that right away. Absolutely, and the other thing is, you know, a lot of the time you go into a, a reform and you and you search and you find a thread that's three years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's you, know, a, that's you don't a know if that's example. even reliable anymore or not. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. And you know what the worst part is? Is um, a lot of people don't even look at the dates. And I know it's something that it took me a while to realize that you know, okay, the, some of this stuff is really old, especially when you're looking at sites that have been around for a long time. Yeah, more than once I've been like five pages in before realizing something was like, you know, from 1997 or something. <laughs> Great. Now, can you take a minute and explain to me how how all this information gets into the site? Well, yeah, it, the information gets into the site actually a lot like the way it gets into a site on a forum, and that's that a community of people work together to provide the answers and, and to give the information and to share with that, and that's that's... That's part of the whole point is that it's not one person writing a book because, believe me, if I were to, to write a book about reef keeping all by myself, not a whole lot of people would be buying it. But <laughs> when you take a 100 or a 1,000 or, um, you know, God bless, someday 10,000 people and have them all collaborate and work together and correct each other's errors and add to people's information, that's when you get something that's really approaching more of a, an encyclopedia. So the 
I like to think of it a lot like a forum in that it's a community and it's set up to be a community. So it, it's not just you go in and you make an entry and it's like writing an article. If you're looking at it like writing an article, you're, you're kind of approaching it the wrong way when you could add a sentence or you could create a page that's never been there before, but you know, only write a few sentences and then leave it for somebody else to finish. So the whole thing is really just this, this huge blank canvas for people to add the information how they feel it should be added. And that's a great thing that you brought up about the forms because that's one of the a great way to look at it. If you have ever looked at a form thread and it's two paragraphs long and you say, you know what, this, par- this sentence here is good, but it should say this. With this type of setup, somebody can actually go in and just change that one sentence, right? Absolutely, and they're encouraged to do so. And um, if there's actually any question about it or any doubt or if there's a discussion that needs to take place, then there's a separate page where that discussion can take place and people can comment on the content of the article without changing what's inside the article. So the article always always stays, it keeps its integrity as a piece of information, yet there's uh, plenty of opportunities on a wiki uh, for people to, to carry on discussions about what it is that they're, they're writing about. Okay, so in, even in the case that you're 99% sure you know that the content that you that's in there that needs to be changed because it's either inaccurate or could be better defined, if you're not 100% sure on what it is you're putting in there, you like I said, you've got a real good idea, there's a place that you can go to to bounce the idea off of a couple people that do work on Reefpedia and just kind of get everybody to nod their heads at the same time and say, yeah, that's a good idea, you should do that. you got that area set up too, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's called the discussion page or the talk page, and it's actually a tab right next to the main page. And so there's an edit tab, and then there's a, a tab where you can go to discuss that specific article. And what people are encouraged to do is, if it's something you're 99% sure of and you just want to want to bring up that 1%, go ahead and make the change, and then go into the discussion page and say, "Hey, I changed this. Uh, you know, I, I I'm pretty sure it should be this way." and um, somebody will come along and double check that for you, and um, you know. And if you were in fact wrong uh, in that one percent case, then they'll go and correct that for you. Great. Now, it's. I think it's important to say that you know having discussions about the stuff you're changing is by no means required here. Um, if it's something you're not sure about, you still think it's right, then you can go in and have a discussion about it. But you're you. I mean, anybody off the street can go in there. Well, I guess off the internet <laughs> can go yeah. in there and just make a change and go on to some other site, right? Yep. Don't even have to log in or register or anything. All you got to do is click on edit and start typing. And you, are you planning on keeping? Uh, the edit, editing ability open to just anonymous users, or is that something that might change in the future? I would love to keep it open to anonymous users. The whole idea is to make it as easy as possible for people to make a change whenever and wherever they, they see fit. Um, there have been cases of, you know, there, there's spammers out there for everything, and so mm-hmm. once in a while you have to protect a page uh, right. or a few pages, but uh, there, are, there are ways to still make it work within that. Great. Now, one of the questions that you know I just thought of and I wanted to, to kind of bring up is because this is something that is open to everybody and it's editable by everybody, um, if I'm somebody that's going to the, to the site and I'm trying to learn something, uh, how, how certain can I be that the content in there is, is as accurate as possible? What kind of peer review or anything like that happens in there? The, the, well, the peer review is similar to what you would see in a forum. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say that you should have a level of confidence in the information as you would in a forum post uh, that has been visited by 
you know, however many dozen people. Um, and the way to, the way to see how many people have even visited it is right at the bottom of the page. It'll say how many page how many times that page has been accessed. Oh, okay, good. Um, it, you know, and Wikipedia actually had an had an issue where somebody was putting in false content. Yes, I remember um, there was a, a lot of uh, something about. Uh Kennedy assassination was a yeah recent. yeah and it, it was it was a pretty big hubbub and um, it, what a, a study came out not long after that that compared the accuracy of the information in Wikipedia which is the granddaddy of Reefpedia I would say mm-hmm. and uh, one of the encyclopedias I, I think it was Encyclopedia Britannica but I'm not positive um, and Wikipedia was actually more accurate more of the time than the encyclopedia so yeah we we hope to have that kind of accuracy there's there are bound to be inaccuracies with anything with any book with any encyclopedia with uh, any website any forum but that when you give people the opportunity to edit freely what you find is that that people again work together as a community to police the information and make sure that everything is accurate yeah and i think you're right i think overall um it's something that i've learned uh, doing the the Talking Reef show and having the site there, that the communities that get involved in the in these kind of projects and efforts are they're just amazing and everybody's out there to help. So, I mean, just to kind of ease anybody's concern, I would say that you know, based on the, the data that I've been through and the pages that I've been through, everything that I've been there, it, it's been real good information. And again, the greatest part about it is that it's always updated. Whenever something new comes out, you can always go in there and instead of having uh, an encyclopedia on Acropora coral that's 200 pages long the pages on reefpedia could be 200 pages long today tomorrow they could be 250 and in the next year you could have you know 800 pages just loaded with every possible piece of information you could think about and that's that's a great thing about it yep that's that's uh, I, w- I can't wait to see how it grows like that you know right now we're we're filling the content areas i'm making a concerted effort to to fill in the the fishing co- coral profiles first because mm-hmm. I think that's probably the most sought-after information, and at the same time, you know, while I'm doing that and focusing on on that and um, trying to get get help with those specific areas, everybody's encouraged to go do their thing and their specialty. And so there's there's people that just love the SPS corals, and they're encouraged to go in there and talk about that. There are people that are into coral propagation. There's a section for that. Plumbing, do-it-yourself section. Uh, inverts, just about everything you can think of, and if there isn't a section, well, go ahead and make one. That's so now, if if somebody is sitting back wondering, you know, if I'm the type of person that should, you know, contribute to this, um, specifically, who are the types of people that should contribute to this? Is it specialists? Is it, you know, somebody that's got a specific area of expertise, or is it anybody who's got anything at all? I, I think it's anybody that's got anything at all, and I, I would say, again, look at the forum model, that anybody who feels comfortable posting somewhere in a forum about whatever topic it, it might happen to be should feel comfortable posting on Reefpedia. It's, it's about the, the same level of expertise required, which is, in, in a lot of cases, not much. You know, I mean, the hardiness of a damselfish. Pretty much <laughs> right at, right at the, the newbie level, you can say, I'm going to guess that they would be very hardy. Well, you can so beat them with a hammer are... and they still live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's always a good indicator. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, basically, just to reiterate that... I, and I think it's a lot easier than than in a forum because if somebody were to make a post in a forum, you've kind of got to respond to that with even more of a, a complete paragraph. Whereas in in this, you can add word by word, sentence by sentence, or if you've got the information to do paragraphs or pages, then you're entitled to do so. But you know, yeah. you can do as little as a couple words just to add on to stress a point. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly, and. It- 
take the example of the damselfish, that, that, that somebody comes in and writes the sentence, damselfish are very hardy. And you say, well, wait a minute now, there's this one, one type of uh, damselfish that I know of that, that uh, is, is actually you know, somewhat tough to keep in captivity. Yeah. So you go in there and change the sentence from damselfish are very hardy to most damselfish are very hardy. And that's a great example of the kind of thing that can happen. Right, and you could even take it to the extent of creating a, a page on that one damsel or even turning that one line into a sentence or whatever you feel comfortable doing. So me and you have talked about it before. It was something back when I was starting Talking Reef, it was something I was thinking about doing is putting together a wiki like this and with the talking reef and the podcast and the website is it was I never got a chance to do it and I was so excited uh, to see that you actually started this and it was just amazing so uh, you know I've basically halted uh, my photo ID database project that I had started putting together with different photos and, and pictures and information about corals, fish, invertebrates, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I just basically at this point, I'm going to be putting that content um, and pointing everybody over to Reefpedia because I think this is quickly going to become a central point for this kind of information. Well, I certainly hope so. It's something that the entire hobby can use, and and um, the the online reef community is something amazing all its oh, own. Yes. And this is, you know, when you give them, when you give that that this group of people a tool like that to use, I'm just I'm excited to see what's going to happen in a month, two months, six months down the road. It's just going to be awesome. Yeah, and it should be a lot easier to find than in a forum. Forums are great; they're amazing tools. But when you're looking for a specific answer to a specific topic, if you want to know exactly how, say, a mandarin fish is going to you know its specific needs trying to find that in a form could be rather difficult unless you make a new post whereas this you can go right in there go into the fist section into you know dragonets and pull up this one and boom there's your information absolutely this this is something that that works great alongside a, a forum and yes. there are plenty of reforms out there for people to choose from this isn't something that competes with it this isn't the the new type of reform this is this is a whole new type of uh, platform and, and source of information, and uh, I think that the two work great together. Excellent, excellent. Well, Travis, I want to thank you for taking a moment to come on the show and talk to us about the newest project. Is there anything else you wanted to mention before we move on to the next section? No, I just wanted to thank um, all the people who have who have um, contributed to Reefpedia in the first month. It's just been amazing so far. Uh, you know, usually you start a site and it's it's kind of slow in the beginning, and you know you're wondering if uh, if you're going to have content, if the thing's going to take off. And <laughs> yeah. in about a month old, we've got over 140 pages now, a um, lot of coral and fish profiles, and, and a lot of great starts to other things. And and to those people that um, that that saw the the usefulness of this from the beginning, I, I just want to go and thank all those people. Right, and if you've got any content to add, um, or if you've got any questions at all about c contributions that you can make, and if you're not comfortable about it, head over to Reefpedia.com. There's places where you can ask questions, and all the information's there. So You can email me, uh, admin at Reefpedia.com, too, and I'll be happy to answer anyone's questions. Well, see, there you go. So, Travis, I wanted to thank you again for coming on the show, and hopefully we get a chance to talk to you in the future about some other stuff. I, I hope so. Thanks a bunch, Rob. All right, thank you. Again, that was Travis from Reefpedia. Make sure you head over to Reefpedia.com. Uh, hopefully you can learn some stuff and add some stuff to the project that they got going over there. All right, and for the next topic, we are going to talk about protein skimmers, something that's been a little bit of time in the works. Uh, there's been some questions on some forums, and finally uh, I got the information together and finally sat down and, and put the show together. So. 
Uh, protein skimmers. Well, basically, next to your live rock and your live sand, a protein skimmer is probably one of the most important filtration devices you're going to have in your system. While there are some skimmerless system designs out there, many of us find protein skimming to be one of the easiest methods of ridding our system of excess dissolved organic compounds. Now, how does a skimmer work? A protein skimmer functions using foam fractation. In other words, in one way, shape, or form, millions of very tiny uh, bubbles are generated and pass through a column of water. As these tiny bubbles pass through the column, free dissolved organic compounds, or DOCs, are stuck to the surface of these bubbles. These bubbles then move up towards the top of the column where they gather and eventually collect in a collection cup area. This is where the bubbles eventually pop, releasing the caught organics and holding them safely in a collection cup. And this is where you come in. Get the collection cup, and if you have a good skimmer, this is where you get totally grossed out and start gagging as you clean the collection cup, which is filled with stuff that you couldn't pass to a pig a slop. Now there are many options out there when it comes to the type of skimmer you can get. Let's, we're going to take a moment and basically discuss the main four types. Now there are other types out there that I'm not going to get into, but they're all pretty much variants on these. All of these types of skimmers try to accomplish two things. Producing the best microbubbles with the best dwell time. Small bubbles are the best to capture the free dissolved organic compounds, and the dwell time is all about the amount of time that these bubbles are in contact with the water. So first off, we're going to discuss the co-current skimmers. And this is pretty much the basic of the skimmers. The co-current skimmer is essentially a column or cylindrical tube that is filled with water and has a kind of bubble source at the base of it. These skimmers work in the same way as a conventional undergravel filter works, where there's bubbles that shoot up and it's going to draw water in and put in contact with the bubbles as it moves up through the tube. Uh, the bubble source is usually some kind of lime wood air stone, and these are great for producing small micro bubbles. Uh, as the bubbles burst in the collection cup, the, wa you know, it's, the water is then released back in and it goes out through a spill tray back into the tank. These skimmers are useful, but not terribly effective due to low dwell times in, in, in the conventional units. Now, the next is the countercurrent skimmer, which works in a little bit different way. It still operates with a air stone in it, um, but a lot of these are actually going to have a pump that's going to pump water in through the top of it. Whereas the co-current skimmer that I mentioned at the bottom, the water actually comes in the bottom, goes up with the bubbles, and spills out the top. Now, as you can see, it's not very effective for maximum dwell time, and you know the maximum time that it's in contact with the with the bubbles. Now, the co-current skimmer, as I mentioned, you'll usually have a small power head or a pump or something that's going to pump water in through the top while your air stone is bubbling up from the bottom. So the water is really going to be in contact with this as as the water travel comes in and it's going to go down into it and then it's going to come back up. Uh, as it's you know get, being contacted with a bubble, so it's a little bit more effective. Uh, it is more effective in in getting a better dwell time than the co-current skimmers. Now, the next main one that I'm going to talk about is you know the the famous Venturi skimmers. Venturi skimmers are probably one of the most popular designs out there. Not the most, but it's up there. It's the top one or two. A Venturi skimmer refers to basically any unit that injects air through an airline or inlet where your water is coming in from. They do not rely on the lime wood air stones, which means that it's basically one less component that needs to be replaced on a regular basis. 
These usually these units are usually powered by some kind of pump or power head, uh, usually a bigger than the other units that we're talking about. Uh, and the Venturi air injection is usually done right at the power head uh, or through some kind of secondary inlet line that or opening that would come before it actually goes into the skimmer. A lot of you are probably familiar with this. Uh, a lot of power heads will usually come with a, a little rubber hose that you can open up and adjust a valve and it allows it to suck in water and stuff like or suck in air and produce bubbles in your tank and stuff like that. Most of us don't use those anyway. So, but that's a basic concept. The force of the high water volume moving, uh, moving by the air inlet causes air to get sucked in that air inlet. The air comes in in the form of millions of tiny bubbles. Uh, the bubbles and air mixture is then shot into the chamber in an, usually in an off-center position, causing the water to circulate in the chamber. So instead of the bubbles you know, going in and traveling straight up, they're going to follow more of a spiral pattern as they go up the chamber. Uh, and this is really going to increase the overall dwell time. So if you imagine you have a, cyl a cylindrical tower, your, your column there, and instead of having the inlet right dead smack in the middle of it, it's going to be off to the side. So as the water gets put into there, it's going to go in and it's going to start like a little tornado type cycle in there. And that's really going to help your overall dwell time and everything like I mentioned. Now Venturi skimmers are proven effective and they're quite scalable. This is probably, like I mentioned, one of the best uh, types of skimmers that you can get out there. Is they're, they're very simple, they're very reliable. Um, maintenance overall is pretty low. It entails basically keeping that air inlet clean. Uh, a lot of times what will happen, especially with the salt water, you'll get salt buildup in there, uh, stuff will get sucked in from the air, and you'll get some buildup in there. Depending on the type of uh, inlet that you have, uh, usually a very good way to do this is on you know on a daily couple days depending on what's needed uh, if you take a couple drops of water and drop a couple little couple drops of water right into that inlet uh, it's usually will do a great job cleaning it up now some of the different skimmers I think the life reef is one of them that actually will run that air inlet uh, instead of just being an open inlet it actually goes up into the collection cup uh, to the top of the collection cup. It's not sucking all the gr the grud grunge in there, but what it's doing is it's sucking it from an area that's got basically like high humidity. So in in a sense, it's kind of sucking in some moisture, and it helps keep that air inlet real clean. So other than keeping the air inlet clean, other things basically you know the basic stuff, making sure the skimmer overall is clean, and making sure the collection cup is clean and as needed. Now, the last one on the list that I'm going to talk about is probably the newest one in the arena, and this is the ETS, or the Environmental Tower Skimmers, also known as downdraft skimmers or injection skimmers, depending on where, who's selling them from where. These skimmers are probably the most simple of all and an extremely effective unit. In the ETS or downdraft model, water is injected at high speeds into a tower or an area, a box of some kind, that is usually filled with a media such as bio balls or something. Uh, as the water impacts this media, it's smashed and crushed into, you know, and basically allowing all the air that's in there to be mixed with the water. Um, by the time the water reaches the bottom of the tower or whatever, it's, it's a, a nice frothy foam. Uh, the water and the foam is in, passed into a secondary chamber or area where the foam is separated from the water, basically because the foam's going to float to the top and the water's going to keep moving underneath. 
the foam's going to move up and it's going to continue to rise up to the collection cup uh, and then it's going to spill over and that's where you're you know into your collection cup uh, the water is then going to basically get past right through there and then it's going to go right out your return inlet and then right back into your tank as you know more filtered water so in closing you're probably wondering which one of these should you get Basically put, I mean, realistically, there's two current contenders, and that's the Venturi style and the downdraft or injection style skimmers. The Venturi units are very common and usually have a lower cost associated to them, and they're pretty readily available. Um, if your needs are normal and you have a small to medium-sized tank, you're probably going to want to look at a type of Venturi style skimmer. If you have higher skimming needs, um, a very large tank, or an extremely high bio load, then you might want to look at the ETS or the downdraft injection style skimmer. Um, both of them are, can be very effective. Um, I'm not going to pass precedence on which one is better, which one is worse. Um, I currently use a, a Venturi skimmer, and I've been very happy with, with, with the one that I have. Now, there's a couple other things that need to be brought up in there with your overall design and placement and stuff like that of your skimmer. One of the questions that has been brought up is, what should the flow rate through your skimmer be? And there's some numbers out there that say that there should be, basically, that you don't want to move more than twice your tank volume through your skimmer in a day. And there's some that you know are a little bit more, a little bit less, whatever. Um, the problem with that is skimmers are designed, especially these Venturi skimmers and these downdraft skimmers, to have a very large amount of water be pushed through them. So it's real hard to reduce it. I mean, if you've got one that needs to run on a pump that's going to punch, you know, three, four, five hundred gallons an hour, and you've got, you know, a 50, 100 gallon tank, you're, I mean, you're going to be doing three times your tank in an hour. You're not, to be able to cut it down that far, it's basically, the skimmer is going to be ineffective. So, you know, the rate of flow through the skimmer itself is one thing. You might want to keep an eye on it. I don't know if I would worry about that a whole lot. I do what the manufacturer of the skimmer recommends. Now, um, depending on the placement of the skimmer, this might be important. Now, if it's the most optimal place to put your skimmer as far as your overall system design is to have your overflow um, box or wherever your overflow is coming from if you're going down into a sump, uh, the best place is to have that overflow water feed right into your skimmer. Now, usually there's enough force to, you know, come right out of your overflow box and actually go right into your skimmer, depending on your setup. This doesn't apply everywhere, so you really have to keep an eye on what you're doing and, and what's going on. But the water that comes right out of there is usually the water that you want to go right into the skimmer because this is the water that's being skimmed off the surface for the most part and it's going to have a lot of protein and stuff build up you know if you have ever run a system without a surface water skimmer uh, after a week or two you'll notice that you get this oily film buildup on the surface of your water and that's actually a protein buildup and these skimmers the, not the protein skimmers, but the the water skimmers that are in the overflow box, the surface skimmers, they actually take that water right off the surface, put it through the overflow box, and then they send it down to your sump, your fuge, or, or whatever have you. Now, you know, like I said, the best place to put your skimmer is right there, but that doesn't always work out on your system design. Uh, so usually what will happen is it will go into a sump area. Now, the flow rate through a sump, to my knowledge, doesn't really matter because there's really not a whole lot going on there. It's essentially a holding container. You're going to use, um, now this is where you can put, 
a in-sump skimmer instead of a standalone tower skimmer. Now that's a great option because you can put the in-sump skimmer in there, have it pick up right from that area, um, or you can have it connected from there and feeding your skimmer from that sump. Uh, there's a lot, I mean, there's probably a million different ways you can set it up, but flow rate through the sump doesn't as far as I'm as far as I know and as far as I'm concerned because there's really nothing going on there it doesn't really matter now a refugium, refugium on the other hand is a different story you don't want to have a lot of flow going through your refugium there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen in there from a filtration aspect you've got your macroalgaes your live rock sometimes you've got small fish or crab snails whatever you may have in there refugiums can vary widely um, you know you'll have live rock live sand stuff like that so you really can't have a real high flow through there because you're going to move everything around and the refugium is not going to be effective as an overall uh, filtration point. So it's important to try to keep a flow rate kind of low through there. Now, again, you can bypass some of your flow to go past the refugium if you've got too much flow. I mean, again, there's there's so many different ways to do an overall design with your refuges, with your sumps, your skimmers. You really need to look at the type of setup, the type of equipment you're going to be using, uh, the tanks, the type of tanks or sumps or fuges that you're going to be using and how you can hook all this together. This is really um, where um, all the forms out there come in handy because you can take your ideas and post them on the forms and get feedback from other people where they could say, you might want to move this piece here or plumb that piece to here and stuff like that. So um, using your forms as a, as a resource is great when you're trying to decide decide. Uh, the overall design of your system. So I hope I I covered protein skimmers, how they work, and you know all that stuff uh, to everybody's satisfaction. There, uh, again, head over to the talkingreef.com forums if you've got any further questions about uh, skimmers that I didn't cover in there. You know, you can post it in the feedback or the show questions, or uh, just in the forums anywhere. And you know, we've got so many people in there nowadays. Somebody will jump on it and answer it right away for you. So moving right along, uh, in this week's uh, tip of the week, what we're going to talk about is something that was uh, a tip that was posted uh, in our forums from a forum member, Cabbage Head. Uh, and this tip is how to quiet those noisy pumps. A lot of us have experienced that. You'll either have a pump in a sump or external sitting next to your tank on the floor or basically sitting on a little cardboard or wood area underneath your tank. And those pumps can often be very noisy as they vibrate against the bottom of the sump or the outside of you know wherever they're sitting at. So this week's tip is how to quiet those noisy pumps. Uh, again, this tip from Cabbage Head on the, on the forums, basically what, what was described was using small cuttings of plastic tubings, a plastic tubing and attaching those as feet to the bottom of the pump. Now, basically, you know, you're gonna take a, a couple pieces of half inch or three quarter inch vinyl tubing uh, the clear stuff that you know that it's readily available most local fish stores will have it right you know behind the counter or whatever or on the shelves but if you take you know a couple inches of this depending on you know how long your pump is and you can glue zip tie whatever attach that to it and then you know as the bottom and then you'll use those as feet and what they'll do is they'll absorb the vibration and drastically quiet those now for external pumps another option is you can actually place them on mouse pads 
uh, you can just take your pump, put a mouse pad right underneath it, and that's going to work to absorb and reduce the overall vibration uh, of the pump. Now, again, there's going to be uh, a link to that thread where we taught where that was all brought up and discussed in the show notes of this episode. So, uh, if you want to find that thread, make sure you head over, pick up the show notes, and like I said, there's a link you can click through. And for the question and answer section, I know that anemones came up in the forum. Uh, I do plan on covering that, and I'm probably going to do it as a full topic. Um, But I'm going to need a little bit more time than what I'm going to have at this point. So uh, I did have some questions, and what I managed to do is wrap most of those right up into the discussion and topic about skimmers in general. Uh, there are some questions about where to place them in the, in the system, which we covered. There's questions about flow rate through them. I think the only other thing that came up was about whether or not you should use multiple skimmers. Now, I, I, I guess this is something that you could do. I mean, my overall opinion is, I mean, unless you're talking about a tank that's like 15,000 gallons, there's a skimmer designed to handle the, the size of your tank out there. So, I mean, if you're dealing with a 50-gallon tank, there's no reason to use multiple skimmers because you can go out there and, you know, for a decent price, you can get one skimmer that's going to work just fine to handle your system. If you've got 200 gallons, 300 gallons, 400 gallons, uh, at that size, you're going to be spending a good couple hundred dollars on a skimmer. Um, but in turn, I mean, you could be spending a good couple hundred dollars on two cheaper skimmers. So. Well, I I suppose you could use two skimmers. I don't really see a whole lot of value in that, unless I guess by some chance you happen to have two extra skimmers laying around, and that you didn't purchase, you got for free or whatever. You got a good deal on them. Um, I suppose you could hook them up. I've never done it. Um, I don't think I know anybody that has. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. Um, I suppose that if you plum did the plumbing right and stuff like that, you could probably do it and you could probably make it work. Um, I wouldn't say you wouldn't want to feed one off of the other because you're going to lose a lot of pressure from the flow. Uh, I mean, basically, if for example, if you're pumping like 300 gallons an hour into to one, that pressure is really going to get reduced uh, as it comes out of that skimmer going into the next one. Uh, a lot of these skimmers, especially like the Venturi design and the downdraft or ETS models, they are really dependent on a real high flow rate. To, for the Venturi to suck in uh, a high amount of air to create the bubbles and for the downdraft systems uh, to have that high speed impact against the media inside there to break up the water and create the air bubbles. So linking them from one to another I don't think would make a whole lot of sense there but I suppose if you wanted to run two out of your sump and have them on two separate uh, pumps that pump in and then two separate return lines um, or if there are two hang on tank skimmers Um, I don't see why you couldn't do it if you had them laying around. So in closing, uh, I think that's going to about wrap the show up for this this week. Um, Don't forget, oh, one thing I wanted to mention real quick. Uh, The video cast that I released, uh, I think it was episode 29, I don't remember, um, but the video cast about fragging Xania, I finally got it working. And it turns out that it was uh, something that was in my feed that I had set wrong. It was um, really kind of a bear to track down. Uh, but anyways, it's all fixed, and now in iTunes, uh, you should get that. It should pop in there. If you don't see it the next time you're in there, all you have to do is hit the click the unsubscribe button and then click the resubscribe button, and it should pop right in there. Uh, if it doesn't and you want to get it in there and you're having problems, you know, again, feel free to post to the forums. I know there were some posts already about you know when we were originally having this problem. So um, I'm going to 
I got that fixed, so now I can plan to do more video casts and you know stuff like that in the future. Uh, a couple other things: don't forget to you know to call in any questions, introductions to the show. A lot of you heard last week that when we had Gwen on the show and Dave on the show, uh, Gwen did the little introduction for me. So if you have any interest in maybe throwing something out there and saying you're listening to Talking Reef, blah blah blah, whatever. If you listen to other podcasts, there's a lot of other ones that do that too. But if you want to do an introduction to the show, or if you have questions or comments or anything like that, make sure you call up the voicemail line. It's real quick. It's easy. Uh, the number is area code five eight six. 486-3357 and if you're not in the uh, United States just prefix that with one in your country code or uh, and then you know I'll get the voicemail we'll get them played on the air I've had a couple of them so far uh, so far people have enjoyed them at least from the feedback I'm getting so if you want your comment and voice heard on the Talking Reef podcast make sure you send them in to me um, that's pretty much going to wrap it up for this show. Again, check out our Frapper map. Put a pin in the Frapper map. And if you uh, make sure you head over to the forums and join in the discussion. Forums are just growing great, and we've got a lot of great people in there. Um, that's probably going to wrap it up for the show. So I guess I will talk to you all next week. <laughs>